I thought that this morning we would have a question and answer session. And so we'll just start with that. You might just look in your heart and see if you have a real question, a question of why something is so difficult in your life. So we're all trying very hard. Well, most of us are trying very hard. <laughs> there are a few back there on the back row. <laughs> and so you've come across things. You've come across difficulties. And so if you can ask a real question today, if you can look in, in your heart and see, so often this will ring true for other people if it's something that you're having difficulty with. What is a miracle? All right. There are, of course, uh, 50 principles of miracles at the beginning of A Course in Miracles, and so I won't be so presumptuous as to uh, try to repeat what the Course is saying or to put it in other words. So the best I can do is simply to make a few little comments about miracles. It is interesting that... So often people think that A Course in Miracles will teach them how to manipulate the world, how to get the right job or a better apartment or the perfect spouse or whatever the thing may be, how to always find things on sale and have <laughs> parking places magically appear before the front door. And of course, miracles have nothing to do with that. A miracle is, in fact, a turning away from the world, but it is not a turning away from the world in fear or dislike or terror or anxiety. It isn't even turning away from the world in the sense of, I've had enough. If that I've had enough has a tinge of negativity, a tinge of depression to it. It is simply a turning away from the world because one recognizes to quote one of the lessons from A Course in Miracles, that the world I see holds nothing that I want. It's just that simple. It isn't there. And how many things did you think were there in your life, and now you simply see there was nothing there. You don't hate it. There was simply nothing there. So Jordan, for example, is going through uh, the stage of putting everything into his mouth. His assumption is that the whole world is a movable feast. <laughs> and that the telephone card and the chips of uh, wood and uh, what did he, let's see, put something in his mouth the other day. I, I can't remember. But he, of course, what he learns and what you and I learned also was that this thought that everything tastes good is simply not true. That doesn't mean you hate it. You don't hate the telephone because it doesn't taste good. But you simply learn that this is not a source of happiness, to put everything in your mouth. Um, and then possibly you and I went through a stage in which everything had wonderful things inside of it, and so the key to happiness was to break every toy. <laughs> and of course some things have some interesting things inside of it, but to break everything, and some there are people obviously who haven't learned this lesson, that to break everything 
will not satisfy you, will not make you happy. And so then what is it? Maybe it's to be uh, uh, the he guinea, to use a Texas term, <laughs> the he guinea on the uh, play yard. Um, for those of you who aren't from Texas, uh, simply means, you know, to be macho, macho man, or, uh, and, you know, macho woman. <laughs> uh, and uh, to, be, to be able to beat up anybody. I remember going through that stage. And there was, I had a friend. He was smaller than me. He was thinner. But his dad had taught him how to box. <laughs> he would bloody my, my nose with one jab. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> just like that. I didn't mess with that guy. <laughs> we just were friends. That uh, was not happy. I can remember back now. And that was not a happy time. Perhaps it was exciting. But it certainly wasn't happy. And then what? To excel in school, to be uh, popular with the opposite sex? What was it? To be beautiful of face and person? To have a sparkling per personality? What was it that held out the happiness? You see how many things you've already checked off? They weren't there. You don't hate them. It simply wasn't there. And, of course, the major things of the world, fame and fortune and wisdom, they're simply not there. How could it possibly make us happy to know more than someone else? Where's the happiness in that? As a matter of fact, it's, if anything, it seems that the extremes, extreme wealth or extreme poverty, make it more difficult. Extreme fame make it more difficult, if anything. But it's simply not there, and that's all we learn. It's just not there. And yet all of us are still running after a few things that haven't been checked off yet. So what is a miracle? It is that moment in the day in which you turn away from something that up until then you had not turned away from. And so before on this occasion, you would have gotten angry. You would have justified your position. Now you say, I wish to have no position. I wish to be the spirit of Christ. I wish to be peace and love. I want to make life easier on my spouse or my child or my friend or my boss. I want to make life easier. I don't want to be a drag, a burden. And so, for an instant, you turn away. Before you would have attacked. Before you would have pointed out the other person's error. Before, the, before there would have been this little tone in your voice. And you would have been, oh, so patient. And now you don't care even about appearing to be patient. Even appearing to be forgiveness. You don't even want to make people feel uncomfortable by appearing to be spiritual and sparkle and, and have the aura of your choice, the color of your preference. I mean, people can't even agree what the color should be. And so you turn away for something simple, for something deep in your heart, for love, for peace, for gentleness, 
for happiness. In answer to this first question, let's close our eyes. And I would like to do a prayer that uh, we did before the service. The people who set up the church get together. And some people who like to just come a little early and join with us. Anybody can. We get together and we pray a little bit. So we will be lustrous when you come in. Um, and we had a nice little prayer this morning. So let's close our eyes and we'll do that. I will speak in the first person for all of us, if you don't mind. Let me just speak for you, speak for your heart for just a moment. When will I come to know what a miracle is? When will I come to know the peace of God? I have worked a very long time. I have been seeking God most of my life. I seriously doubt that I will ever find God. Something always happens. I don't quite do it right. I don't quite make the effort when I should. I keep having to learn the same lessons over and over. I really doubt that I will ever come to know my Father. I really doubt that. When will I come to know the love and the peace of God? Will it be on my deathbed? Will it be shortly after that? Will it be in 20 years of hard work? Or perhaps next year? Is there any reason it cannot be today? Is there any reason I cannot know my father? Today, let it be today. What do I need to do in order for it to be today that I will know a miracle? All that's needed is that I make simple peace more important than anything else than the weather, and whether the car starts, and whether I get my food on time or get what I want, or whether someone agrees with me after the service, or someone looks better than me or worse than me, or whether I get to bed on time, or whether the house is clean, or whether the children behave. All that's necessary for this to be the day is for me to make gentleness and happiness more important than criticism and attack and judgment and guilt and self-punishment. All that's more important is light. All that's more important is peace. All that I need to make more important is simple gentleness and love 
all of which is one thing. There's only one thing for me to do to make the peace and the happiness and the gentleness of God more important than anything else that happens. Am I willing to do that today? Or shall I wait another year? Or five years? Or perhaps I should change my teaching aid 300 more times. Perhaps I don't have the right path. Perhaps I should read other books, try other systems, and go around and around and around and around and never know my father. Or shall I admit I know enough to go home? I know what I've been told, that all I need to do is to be gentle and peaceful and happy and kind. Will I do that today? Will this be the day? If so, I will know what is a miracle. Okay, if you'd open your eyes. Yes, but of course you'll make a mistake, won't you? You'll make many mistakes today. So how can this be the day? Because you will make mistakes. All that's necessary for this to be the day is for you to decide that if you make a mistake, as you certainly will, if you make a mistake, you will simply begin again. You won't blame the mistake on someone else or some circumstance. You won't spend time chiding yourself. John, what's that? Uh, would you mind telling that wonderful story about carrying a woman across the river? <laughs> this is a great story. Thank you. Come, come here because uh, we want to get this on video, John. <laughs> Well, there were two Japanese monks, an older one and a younger one. The younger one was a bit of a novice, and of the um, rules that these monks lived by, one of them was that they had to have no contact with women. They were a, a celibate sect of uh, Buddhism, and um, so they came to the river. And it was, a, in Japan, you know, they, they don't have too many bridges back in the old days and uh, no wheeled transport until about a hundred years ago. So they came to a river, and there was a woman waiting at the river. And uh, she said, Oh, thank goodness you men are here. Would one of you please carry me across? It's too deep for me. And the uh, younger monk started to protest, but the older monk uh, immediately picked the woman up and carried her across the river. And uh, after the woman had gotten out of earshot, the uh, younger uh, monk said, uh, how could you do that? Our whole, uh, our whole group is based on not touching women, and you not only touched the woman, you carried her all the way across the river. I mean, how can I look up to you as a teacher now? Uh, you just negated everything that, uh, uh, that I've been studying and, and working on in the, in the last uh, five years. And, and, and it went on and on and on and on, this kind of thing. And finally, the older monk turned to him and said, 
I just carried that woman across the river. You've been carrying her for three miles. <laughs> a miracle is the day that Hugh gives a short answer to a question. <laughs> but I will, I'll end the answer there. Now, <laughs> okay, I think someone raised their hand over here. Yes. What place does realizing one's potential play in this lifetime? As the way this is generally presented, this concept, it is generally an ego quest, this whole business of, of uh, self-realization. It is often uh, merely another word for a personal sort of ego-oriented selfishness. So the concept is we come into this life with a little, little uh, basket of goodies, like a little red riding hood. We've got our goodies in there. The few, our few little specialnesses. Um, our voice uh, has the right uh, pitch or something like that. Mine does not. I'm this is uh, Dr. Manny said this, uh, Hugh, you'll, you'll never make it. It's, uh, you need to be an octave lower, please. So that's not one of my specialnesses. I remember I had a friend uh, in the Air Force who had the most beautiful, resonating voice. And yet he was saying just ordinary things. <laughs> but you just listen to him because of this. But some of you have such a voice. Or your hair actually is manageable. <laughs> uh, I don't get cavities. When I went to the uh, the dentist, uh, she she had uh, Gail and me in there, and she was pointing out uh, this. She had one of these little models of teeth there. This is a wonderful thing, you know. And uh, she was pointing out all the fine qualities of these teeth. It turned out they were my teeth. It was the impression she had made. She said, this is one of the best sets of teeth I've ever come across, ever. <laughs> and I realized some of my potential. <laughs> I mean, here I was, 46, and I didn't know I had perfect teeth. Um, but... Uh, I have the digestion of my dad rather than of my mother. Uh, that's, I certainly am not special in that sense. I've had to cut out a lot of things, uh, whereas there are people who can just throw anything down there. And so we have this. So what does realizing your potential mean? To give a very short answer. <laughs> it means, in ego terms, that the, that the basket is deeper than you ever thought. And there's more in that basket than you realized. But it's based on specialness. Things that you have in the basket that other people don't are that you now have the knowledge, you have the key, you know that there's a hidden compartment in the basket. And most of the blockheads in the world don't know this. But you've attended such and such a place or you've read such and such a book and now you know. 
and you can open the little secret compartment and get out the rest of the goodies. And now you will know when someone is approaching you from behind. You will have awareness. This is very important. Uh, so that, of course, is all foolishness. You don't want to be special. To be special is to make your ego real, more real than you already think it is. So don't say things like that in conversation if you can help it, or in your own mind. I am the kind of person who... Patience is not one of my virtues. Uh, I've always been able to remember numbers, whatever the thing may be. Do you wish this kind of description... Do you wish to make this your identity? Gail and I are uh, fixing our house up to sell. It's a very interesting process to even further shorten the answer here. <laughs> and that is that as we fix the house up, we love it more. That, which is, of course, a very basic rule that what you care for, you love. But also, we've discovered that we identify with the house. So here I came. I was an author, an egghead. Uh, didn't do anything much. I remember having a conversation with a guy on a phone who uh, told me uh, uh, he had just he'd just gotten Gail to sign a spurious contract in, the, in a parking lot. And I had read the contract. I'd had a course on contracts in college. This is one of my specialnesses. And there, this thing was just terrible. It was just, you know, he could walk away with the thing that she had sold and wouldn't have to pay her any money unless someday he wished to or something like that. So I called him up on the phone, and uh, I told him we weren't going to go through with this. He said, I may have to get physical with you. <laughs> Um, I don't know what his name was. Let's call him Ginger Root. <laughs> now, uh, I do know what his name. I know do know what his name is, but I I can't. <laughs> it was a wonderful, good old boy name, but I can't give it to you here. I said Ginger. <laughs> this is all on the phone. See, now I am a good old boy from Texas, so I know how to talk this way. I said Ginger, you've never seen me, have you? <laughs> He said, no, but you're a writer. He said, I break horses and pull engines for a living. I said, you've never seen me, have you, Ginger? I said, you come out here right now. You come out here right now. And let's talk about this. Well, the good old boy act worked. <laughs> Turned out, I'd never seen him either. Turned out. <laughs> I was told later about one of the Sikhs out there just how big this guy was. <laughs> so, anyway, it seemed very important that I build my own house. See, we always get back to the theme. Then we'll get back to potential. Now, don't worry about this. So it seemed necessary that I build my own house. And I went out there, and I'd seen the old West movies, and I started uh, pulling up the pinyons by hand. 
Because I didn't have a horse. Now I know you could use a horse, because that's what they that's what John Wayne did. He just strapped a rope around the you know. I didn't have a horse. So it had to be done by hand. Someone came up and said, Did you know that there's such a thing as a backhoe? I said, What's a backhoe? I didn't know there's such things. A backhoe can clear this lot in about five minutes. You've worked on it a week. <laughs> So I started reading uh, books and attending little classes and doing all these things, and I started building my own house and learned a lot and worked hard and spent three years just on the first part of the house. And then I got smart and hired a contractor. <laughs> I don't tell people that, though. did the second part of the house. So actually, I had a contractor who did actually a lot of the work on the first part of the house. So... Now that I'm selling it, I'm going over all this stuff, and I think I'm a house. The world is a dream, <laughs> but this is my house. And we showed the house for the first time, uh, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. No, it was the day before yesterday, for the first time. And a woman came through the house, she's a perfectly nice woman, but she breezed through the house. She she didn't spend five minutes in the house. And she, her most enthusiastic comment was reserved for the cats and how lovely the two cats were. And I was depressed all day long. And I realized I thought I was a house. And what else did I think I was? I thought I was an occupation. I thought it made a difference as to how many books I had written and how many copies they had sold. What else did I think? I thought I was a certain height and a certain name, and I thought that I'd come from a certain family. And I thought I had certain opinions that were better than other people on this subject and that subject. And what else, and what else, and what else? And it was a very interesting little session I had with myself. And that is not the potential we wish to realize. We wish to lay that aside because we do not want to be different than other people. We don't want to be special. We don't want. That doesn't mean that we don't have a car that some people might think is special. But for how long will they think it's special? How long will your new car be new? How long will it be better? There are people who have built houses on each side of me that are bigger and better now than my house. They are more expensive. They have more things. How long was it a better house? Don't base your potential on that. Your strength, your roots. Indeed, you have roots and you have potential and you can realize it. And it's done the way we did in the meditation. You make a simple decision about today. About today. You will be kind today. You will try to be kind today. No matter how many times you forget, you will not accept the premise that you're off today. You're only off as long as you wish to be off. If it's been a very bad day for you all day long, and it's only an hour before you go to bed, it can be a perfect hour, and it can redeem the entire day and you will realize your potential. 
because you are one with God. And someday, that will not just be words in your mouth. All right, so the question is, uh, there's a statement in the Course about not asking for things that don't belong to you. And the question is, does this mean that uh, we therefore have certain assigned things uh, and that we should not ask for what's someone else's? And then, of course, there's the other statement in the Course about uh, whatever your brother asks, give them. Give your brother whatever he asks, no matter how outrageous the demand is. That's the way people interpret, anyway, that, that particular passage. And so this is a very fundamental and a very, very good question. And the answer, of course, is that spiritual truth has nothing to do with the world. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has nothing to do with anything in the world whatsoever. Spiritual truth is self-contained. And A Course in Miracles is just about as absolute and pure a statement of truth as is possible to read. There is almost nothing in it that relates directly to human behavior. There are two or three very teeny little things, I can tell you a couple of them, that it's best to sit up when you do your work at night and not lie down. So when you release the day, it's best to sit up and not try to do it lying down. And there's a few others, and that's about it. And so these statements do not pertain to uh, if someone asks you for your house, you give it to them, or your car, you give it to them, or your wife, you give it to your husband, you give it to them. You don't do that. It doesn't mean that. Yes. What it means... In, in, in some words, you see, the truth is so broad that there are a thousand ways of restating it. There are no sacred words. And so all we can do is just put it in other words, because what we want is to go beyond the words. We want a sense of the words. So in your prayer and in your meditation, have this sense of moving gently beyond the words you're saying. Don't make the words God. Don't give the words magic. Don't think that an affirmation has power. The power comes in the gentle movement past the words into the heart of God, which is your home and your strength and your potential. So you do not ask your brother in coarse terms for what is his. And what is his? His happiness and his peace and his excitement and his joy. And so you do not ask him a question that rids him of his joy, that brings him down from his discovery. You do not tell your brother that you know a better way, that he or she should not try that remedy, but this other remedy. You do not take what is his, because what is his is what is yours. And when you take it, you lose it yourself at the same instant. Pretty short, pretty short answer, huh? Okay. The holy instant. The holy instant, okay. Gosh, this is magnificent. They were getting so many questions on A Course in Miracles. Those of you who have gone back and listened to the early tapes when we first began know that I started out reading a um, passage from the text and a lesson, and we actually handed these out at the girls' club over there. 
And then we got to the point where it says, now you've got to make sure that you've mastered this before you go on. You know, in the, in the text it says, go back now and make sure this is under your belt. That's not the way the course <laughs> words it, of course. And that's where I stopped doing that because I realized that this was in no way mastered and that essentially our church was not ready for A Course in Miracles. And I was hoping that by the time we got through with the three years, we would be ready for A Course in Miracles. And maybe it's beginning to happen. You don't realize this, but you're in a graduate program. <laughs> you will get your DD, your Doctorate of Dispensability, <laughs> at the end of the three years. The Holy Instant. The Course says, to the reader, you have not yet experienced a Holy Instant. Now, many people overlook that passage. It says that you have experienced joining with something else, a sense of being more than what you thought you were. But you have not yet experienced a holy instant. And when you experience a holy instant, when you see the face of Christ over and over, what need will you have for books? Because you will know your father and you won't have to read about your father and you will know yourself and you won't have to read about yourself how crazy that is to read a book about what we are if we don't think we're dumb and so the holy instant is coming to each and every one of you most of you don't believe this you're going to have a holy instant and a holy instant lasts forever and forever and forever. But it comes about gradually, like a gentle tide, a rising of light, a gentilizing, in which the world just seems nicer. All of a sudden, you've had days like this, haven't you? The world seems nicer. It doesn't necessarily go your way, but it's easier, isn't it, to get along with people. What is that? Has the world really changed? No, it hasn't. But the holiness of the presence of God has begun to softly shine in your heart for at least this day, for at least this moment. And you begin to see this softness and this gentleness all around you. Because it was always there. And now your intense preoccupation with the ego and other people's guilt and their behavior, and what they're doing, and what they're up to, and this sense of competition we have with everybody. This constant comparing for a moment is broken, gently snapped like a dry twig in the wind. You will come to know your father. You can know your father today. All you have to do is make what your father is more important than anything else. What is your father? What is the holy instant in which you know him? Your father is peace and happiness and gentleness and forgiveness. 
Your father is stillness, a deep calmness. Come back to that a thousand times a day. Come back to it over and over. No, I don't want this attack thought. No, I don't want to judge so-and-so. No, I don't want to be scared about that anymore. And just turn away from it gently and quickly and relax and be happy and enjoy where you are and enjoy the people you're with. It is possible to be happy in any situation. It's at least possible to be peaceful in any situation. But we always think the present situation is an exception. You must be peaceful in the present situation or you will not know your father. And so try a little bit. Expect very little. Try very hard. Expect very little of yourself. Don't look for signs and feelings and being swept up and celestial sparklings and things like that. Just relax. God is all. You are already saved and whole and happy. You are already home. And when you relax, that knowledge begins to seep into your mind. I try to correct any mistake that I am conscious that I have made. Uh, and that is one that I did make in the early uh, tapes. I was saying that uh, in a sense, in the sense of absolute truth, it's an accurate statement, of course, to say that there are no mistakes, there are no setbacks. But now I realize that there is a phenomenon, and it's a good thing to be aware of it. And that is that we can move backwards and have to retrace our steps. And this we don't want to do. I can tell you one such time, and that is when you are angry, you are moving backwards. So when you are ventilating your anger, releasing it on everybody else, uh, you are walking backwards and you will simply have to retrace those steps to get back to the place where you were. It isn't acting the anger out that's doing it, although, as we've said so many times, this does make the situation more difficult for you because it seems to take it out of your hands. By acting it out, it seems to put it out there in other, with other people. And now they're involved in the whole thing, and somehow you don't seem to be in control of it. So if you can keep from acting it out, do not let the body... What was, what's that statement? No, I'll remember in a second, from The, from the Course in Miracles. Um, you're walking backwards when, when there's this rage. And the Course points out, that a little irritation is but a mask for a deep and murderous rage. Now, that's difficult to believe, but you will eventually see it, that when you have a little irritation, you are consumed with rage. And it does not seem that way at all. And so what do you do about the anger? You do the best you can. Now, you see, this is what we do. We give up on the anger. We're like the, the little child that's building blocks and one falls and so in anger the child knocks down the whole block building. That's the way we are. 
we must get to the point where we see that a little gain is better than no gain at all. But we're at the point now where we think the gain must be enormous or else we're going to chuck the day. We'll just write it off. And you make no progress when you do that. You must settle for a little progress. So, yes, you know you're angry. Eventually, you'll learn to see the anger coming. Eventually, you'll learn how you get angry because you only get angry in certain ways and it's not the way other people get angry. So you want to learn your ego. You want to look at it over and over again until you know how you get angry because this pushes you back and you've got to retrace the steps just to get back to the place where you were. And so you want no more anger and bitterness. Why do you, would you want it? Of course you don't want it. And so look at yourself. What do you do? What happens that you get in trouble? But on this occasion, you it just came about, you're angry. And so what do you do? Remember last time we said, say to yourself, my name is, and then you fill in the blank, and I am not confused. My name is love. You could even say these words if you did not say it from an ego sense. If you said it from an ego sense, it would seem sacrilegious to say these words. If you know what you're saying, and you mean no disrespect, you could even say, I am the Father, and I am the Son. I am all, and I am one. I am the Father, and I am the Son. I am all, and I am one. Say that with me. I am the Father, and I am the Son. I am all, and I am one. So what is your name? The Course says, God has given you his name. Say your name and tell yourself you are not confused. You know what to do. Maybe it's to sit down for just a moment. Maybe it's to start saying some words of truth over and over in your mind until the angry thought stops. Not a war. Not as a hammer. So often people use truth as a hammer. The words of truth because you love them and you want to know your father today. This instant, even though you're angry, this can be the instant that you come to know your father and yourself. And I've completely forgotten what the question was. Setbacks. Setbacks. It must have been answered, don't you think it was answered? <laughs> oh, yes. That's right. That is so true. You see, if we learn how to deal with a setback, it can be enormous gain because everything in this world has been anticipated and blessed. The world has been answered. Every aspect of it has been answered. Everything you will do today has been answered and tomorrow. You have been led home. You're just seeing this. You're sitting in the movie of life and you are watching how you got home. That's what's happening. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. Because you don't believe you're in the movie of life. 
You don't believe you're rowing gently down the stream, and you must work with yourself where you are, and it's far better that you have a sense of working hard than a sense of laziness and uh, dissipation and being scattered and so forth. Far, far better. So work hard until that day comes that you realized you have been picked up and you're being carried in the door. What was the song? The door's... What was that? The door's already open? Yeah, don't knock, just walk on in. But people try to do that before they're ready. I'm not ready for that. I've got to work very, very hard. And then there are moments in which I can say to myself, I need do nothing. And so you are so right. If you will simply say, ah, this is a mistake. It does not take time for me to retrace my steps. I don't have to spend X number of hours. It takes willingness. So am I willing to see my mistake and begin again? Then the mistake, even though it moved you back, can be erased like that. All right, we've got time for just one more question. Okay, so uh, there's this. So that seems to be different, doesn't it? To simply watch. The question was, what's the difference between uh, when when do you work on yourself and when do you just watch? And what's the is there a uh, difference and so forth. This is a, a very fundamental question and it's, it's very confusing to people. It's just like what we were just talking about. I need do nothing. And so there does seem to be a difference, doesn't there, between just wa- watching and working hard. But the working hard, what are you working to do? Now, if there's a sense of battle, if you're battling with your mind or battling with your emotions... You are not making any gain. This is not the work that's being called upon. You are being asked to be happy and peaceful and relaxed. That is the work. And so even if you're saying some words of truth over and over in your mind to clear and still your mind, it must be a happy thing to do. If there's any sense of drudgery and tedium, then you are not doing the work. You're doing the ego version of the work. And the ego version of the work always will tire you. If there is anything tiring about the spiritual work you're doing, you are not doing spiritual work. It should be relaxing you and making you happier. And it should make you forgive yourself and think more gently of yourself. It should make you be more compassionate to your body. You should be more of a friend to your body after this work or during this work. It should make you relax and enjoy the things around you, not shrink you into some isolated shell in which you're afraid of the world. So the work is to watch. The work is to be gentle. The work is one thing. It's all the same thing. We say it in so many different words because the ego has taken truth and scattered into a billion pieces. And so this piece looks different than that piece. It's a jigsaw puzzle, and when we put it all together, whose face will you see but your own? And you will recognize your brother as yourself.